Hello everybody, my name is Matt Montgomery, Superintendent of District 67 and 115, and you are watching The Lake Forest Podcast. Welcome to The Lake Forest Podcast, a podcast about the lovely city of Lake Forest, featuring topics like local news, sports, music, people, food, and high schools. My name is Pete, I'm joined with the voice of Lake Forest High School Basketball Football Lacrosse, just Steve Ski, woo, woo, woo. The Lake Forest Podcast is supported by viewers, listeners, and businesses just like you. Make a memory of a lifetime with Shark Eye Outdoors out of Longboat Key, Florida. Experience their shark beach fishing, kayak tours, and fossil hunting. Go to SharkGuyOutdoors.com and schedule an outing now. Forest Bluff Real Estate Group serves Illinois, Wisconsin, Lake Forest, and Lake Bluff. John Josephitis, Laura Lee Van Fleet, and Michelle Parno get a free market analysis now at ForestBluffRealEstate.com. We're the best cannabis in the world. Look no further than Iliad Epic Grow. They're a cannabis cultivation center owned by Lake Bluff's own Rich Ruzich. They focus on hard-to-find small-batch products that would delight both the occasional user and Ganjier. When visiting Michigan, ask for it by name, Epic Products, Exceptional Process, Iliad Epic Grow. For more information, email info at iliadgrow.com. Havy Communications has been helping first responders arrive safely since 1983. It's owned by Lake Forest owned Mike Havy. Check them out at havycommunications.com. Paul Hammond, candidate for Lake Forest Mayor, April 4th, 2023. He's a lifetime resident of Lake Forest, licensed professional engineer in Illinois, registered energy professional in Chicago, Purdue electrical engineering graduate, BSEE 1979, commodity trader for over 40 years. He's running on the issues of Stopping the plastic grass in Lake Forest Parks. Because every 10 years, the plastic field needs to be replaced because of deterioration and wear. Email paul.hammond.pe at gmail.com. We'd also like to say that we're thankful for patron supporters. Reverend Lukak from the Church of the Holy Spirit. Matt A, Elizabeth C, Costa, Lance, Otto, RDM, John C, Dan Rogers, and Mike Adelman. Shout out to the Lake Forest Breakfast Group, Rod Stop in Kenosha, Captain Mike's Kenosha, Greentown Tavern, Waukegan, and the Frolic Lounge in Waukegan. Dr. Montgomery, thank you for coming on the Lake Forest Podcast. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's that time of year, huh? You got anything going on? <laughs> Just a uh, it's never a dull moment, but when you add a referendum to the mix of the daily activities, it makes things that much more interesting and exciting. So, Dr. Montgomery, the, uh, you know, this is the Lake Forest podcast. We're we're at the Lantern. We're at Chiefs. You know, we're at Duffers. We're just sitting at the bar, having a bowl of popcorn, a couple beers, and, you know, we're just shooting it. And you got... <laughs> You got people My behind favorite places, just so we're clear. <laughs> yeah, of course. As a relatively new Lake Forest resident. Okay. And, you know, we, some people watch the uh, city council meetings. Not a lot, but, the, you know, they do. And you know better than anyone that politics only matters when it affects you. And you just, you came here from Ohio. Just Let's see, just outside of Massillon, like the heartbeat of football, the United States, uh, Washington, Massillon, Rick Spielman, Chris Spielman. That name ring a bell, Dr. Montgomery? Okay. For sure. And, uh, and uh, of course, Youngst- Youngstown State Penguins, of, of course. But you, you, you come over here, and uh, the last person leaves, you come in, and they say, oh, by the way, you got to go out and get us some money. How does that work? How does that process work? 
Well, I'll tell you that that was a big part of the interview. Uh, when yeah. I was being interviewed by all 14 board members, one of the things that they were trying to tease out was, did I have any experience running referendum campaigns and construction projects? And I think that um, it's it must be a guilty pleasure of mine to do these things because I had just come off an $87 million project in Ohio where we built two new buildings, uh, refurbished two other ones or renovated two other ones, built a bus garage, did synthetic turf. And I ran from the referendum campaign to ribbon cutting. So it was an exceptionally uh, uh, exceptional experience for me as a young leader to get that yeah. early on in my career. And I also served as the owner's representative uh, for the project. So in addition to the superintendent or CEO, I was owner's rep for the school district. Uh, so I learned a lot. And uh, I think that that's what helped reassure the board during the interview process or the boards, forgive me, in the interview process that if they charged me with this, uh, is it something I'm interested in doing again? And did I have any experience under my belt uh, having success? Right. Well, it's a pretty good place to come to to uh, figure it out. Uh, what do what do not people? Good, under- it's, it's great. It's, it's a great. great. Place. Thank you. We'll edit that out in post. <laughs> what? Is, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, the, the, hey, the funny thing, Pete, is what you, what you mentioned, uh, Matt, was that uh, there was a synthetic turf project back in Ohio with the renovations you did, and just Tuesday night, the rec they passed the uh, synthetic turf field at like at deer pass so <laughs> they did and it will impact um children and students regardless of where they're attending school uh, so that is a huge project for the city there is there isn't any synthetic turf in this project um, right. there was uh, previously but it got scaled back the project has had many iterations over the last 18 months and uh, i would say before that because this project was well underway before the pandemic, and then I picked up where we left off. There, there's a couple things because you know the the moms and dads that are watching. You know, it's hard to sit through a three hour city council meeting. It's hard enough for them to even watch it on YouTube. But the two things that keep coming up is, well, if this is budgeted, why do we have to come up with it now? And then, what percentage is going for classrooms and and everything else? How does that work? What goes down? Can you expound on that? Absolutely. So it's 105.7 million. And we could have labeled the whole thing as infrastructure because it is infrastructure. It's just bucketed in two different segments. One is the infrastructure that it's 52%. That's the stuff you can't really see absent the windows and the new lights. Think of HVAC, think of plumbing, think of electrical. The other 48% is to instructional space infrastructure. But it's how how are we modernizing classrooms? How are we looking at the furniture that the students are using? Um, The experience in the classroom is impacted in that 48%. But the whole thing is infrastructure. Um, It's just divided 48 to classrooms, 52 to behind the scenes infrastructure. We touched, the the previous we uh, touched 50% of the classrooms in that building with the 2006 project, which was $54 million, which is $80 million in today's money. So I've been getting that question. So uh, how, how could you possibly be asking 105.7 when you only asked for 54 in 2006? 
And somebody asked, well, what is that in today's dollars? And it's about $80 million when you look at inflation. So we are at 105.7. Uh, it's incredibly, um, it's not surprising, but it still takes your breath away about how much things cost these days. And in a post-pandemic world, it's even more um, elevated. The emails and the texts that I get, you know, people want to know why 105 million? Why do we need it right now? What happened that this wasn't put in the budget over the X number of years from 2006 to now? Like what what's changed? How do you answer that? It's a great question. It's a question I get frequently. In 2006, there was a need to touch more classroom space than what they did. But they, as a board and administration, did not feel that they could get above the $54 million mark. So at in 2006, there was a commitment that they would come back to the community in 15 to 20 years to finish the project. That was conversations that were had in 2006 that I think that it's, it's helpful for me to hear from me talking to people who were there at that time, that that was the intent. But there's been a lot of changes in who's in the community, what people, people have selective amnesia. Um, I think we all remember what we want to. I'm guilty of that too. That's not a criticism. That's just how we uh, remember right. Um, our life and and we we tend to remember the good stuff. Um, but that was a calculated decision in 2006. The district has invested approximately one to one and a half million dollars in capital improvement year over year. And I will tell you that that investment has ensured that um, things that were not at end of life in 2006, like electrical panels or HVAC, could stay operational for the, the next 16 years, 17 years. And that's a, that's something that should be celebrated from my vantage point, that we have things, we have electrical panels that are um, the 30-plus uh, year mark. Now they're at the end of life and they need to be replaced. The other component is that historically the district has kept a fund balance of 15 to 20% of their overall budget. And they made a decision that they don't sit on taxpayer dollars above that 15 to 20%, but rather invest it back into the programs and the electives that serve our students. And in the last 15 years, approximately, we have been able to offer program offerings, electives, um, co-curriculars, that rival districts that are far bigger than ours. So for example, you can go to New Trier with 4,000 students or approximately, and you can have X amount of offerings. You get the same amount of offerings here, but you're only dealing with 1,400 peers. That's something that makes Lake Forest awfully special because there is a place for everybody and an opportunity for everybody. Over 90% of our students are either doing um, interscholastic activities or co-curriculars. We have 30 plus sports and we have, I don't know, 60 plus uh, co-curriculars or clubs. Um, if we don't have a club, we create it. That's been our mentality. And it is, from my vantage point, a um, it's a private school in a public setting. It, some people told me you're, it's essentially a liberal arts college that we're running. This is a gem for the community that is celebrated in so many ways to make that offering possible. 
we have to find other ways every 15 to 20 years, if we keep this philosophy going, to invest in capital improvement when things get to end of life. There is discussion, though, with the board that says, do we want to keep that philosophy? Post-referendum, do we want to change how we're investing in capital improvement? And do we want to increase that one to $1.5 million annually to two and a half, three and a half, five million? So we would break the track of going every 15 to 20 years. We can do that. It is an option. You could do somewhere in between that as well, especially if you look at the fact the first 10 years after a referendum, you're, there's going to be little break and fixes, break and fixes that aren't covered under warranty. So you could increase the amount of line item for capital improvement in an investment scheme that would help offset or minimize the ask that we would need for our community 15 or 20 years down the way. If you wanted to put $5 million a year in the budget towards capital improvement, you could do that too. You have to make a decision though, what programs or electives are you going to reduce or minimize to capture those funds to be able to allocate and increase your fund balance year over year? Nothing is impossible. It's all on the table right now, but know that it wasn't a surprise that we were going to have to make this investment. They set that in motion in 2006. It was up and running as a real conversation to go on the ballot in March of 2020 before everything came to a screeching halt in the pandemic. People are more engaged now because it's actually going to be on the ballot and they're going to have to make a decision. But this is not a surprise. They were talking about it with me in an interview two years ago. I uh, saw you on that. Council meeting, fantastic description of everything. I think it was very well done. And then I also attended some of the community meetings that that you guys had and all that. I think one of the questions, particularly with the um, turf fields in play now, you know, I've heard several people ask, well, why a referendum as opposed to taking care of it, so to speak, in-house? And if you can touch on that, what that difference is, for you guys, for the district, as opposed to the city? It, it comes down to the fund balance that we carry versus the fund balance the city carries per policy. And then it also comes down to if we were to pay, let's say we were going to take the 52%, let's just divide it in half and say 50, 50 million, mm -hmm. just for simple terms. If we wanted to pay for that out of the budget, we would have to do that. And, and this may be a real decision if this gets voted down. You would take the 50 million in infrastructure and you would stretch it out over maybe 10 years and you would reduce programming and offerings, i.e. staff, right? Because 80% of our budget is staff. We are in a human business. We're not making widgets. You know, this is like how we fund uh, the, the bulk of our revenue is going out in expenditures in our staff cost. So how would you capture 50 plus million dollars at an 8% escalation cost year over year? So if we need 50 million and you stretch it over 10 years, it's gonna be more than 50 million, right? So it's gonna increase 8%. Now that's gonna ebb and flow as the market switches, but the estimation right now is 8% per year. We would have to reduce programming and offering to do that. Now, some people might say, great, do that. But if we do that, it comes at a cost that says that now we're not, we don't have a course catalog that looks like um, Nutrier and Stevenson. 
we don't have the extracurricular and the co-curricular opportunities that uh, mirror our North Shore uh, competitors. And some people may be okay with that too. But then when you have new families who are shopping for areas to live, and the uniqueness that makes us so special is you have all that offerings with a low enrollment, it maybe not be a reality if we take that approach and we start scaling back and programming the offerings. We have 1,400 students now. In the last couple of years, I want to say, insert number here, another 1,000 households, 15, whatever it is. Got any idea what the new count's going to be? So the enrollment studies are still showing, showing flat, but remember that the enrollment studies, if you if you get a 10-year enrollment study, I would say you can trust it for five years out. And the new enrollment studies, the reason I only trust five years is it's birth to five years. Like I know how many babies were born in that area. So that becomes a very real number versus you then are um, creating a statistical model or a projection that based on this amount of burst in this first five years, we're going to project this many more. That just becomes a little softer in terms of real math. Um, so I would say that right now we're still tracking flat. We do have 1,300 new families or approximately in Lake Forest. We had the biggest kindergarten class that we had uh, last year in 10 years. Pete, when you think about how much inventory is in the market for houses in Lake Forest and Lake Bluff. Have they all changed over one time? I know there is a, we're atrophying in both cities. I think Lake Bluff a couple of weeks ago, the, the realtors were saying there's 13 houses available right now. So there isn't a huge surplus of inventory. So I still think it's going to be flat in enrollment, but I certainly don't think we're going to be increasing. And we're going to have some bubbles that go through based on the recent change in housing that happened during the pandemic. So are the infrastructure improvements um, that are on the plate more expanding for more people or is it more upgrading stuff and kind of working yeah. the ducks out and all that stuff? No, it's it's the latter, which is keeping the building open for another 20 plus years. Right. So these are um, improvements that are going to ensure that that uh, 88-year-old building is still a treasure for the community for the next 20 to 30 years. We are not doing any expansion in the program. In fact, we are doing just the basics. The When we were ideating, when I came on, it the building could easily be uh, a $2 million, $200 million investment. So let me tell you how that can happen. So if we completely do the, redo the, auto, the uh, RMA or the auditorium, the little theater, the natatorium or the pool, the cafeteria, these are spaces we're not touching. Uh, we took out all the turf projects, uh, major athletic improvements, expansions in uh, the third floor to make the English classrooms bigger. All of that got removed from the plans. We went from 200 to 160 to 140, and we landed at 105.7. What I hope people know is that there's no fluff in this project, so much so that if we were to go on the ballot again after a failure, th there wouldn't be, oh my gosh, Matt found a, a way to only ask for $55 million. That, that wouldn't happen. What would happen is if we went up again, it would be 120 plus million dollars because what we ask for right now is really what we need for the building to keep it open. And now you're just going to add an escalation cost of 8% per year 
So if we wait till the presidential election to put it back up in 24, it's going to be $120 million. I don't know if people understand that. I, I keep talking about it uh, <laughs> because I think some districts across the country uh, bake in fat, thinking that it may take two times to pass. And then they know that they have some wiggle room. That's not the strategy the board took. Like if we're going to go all in right. on a, a reg or like an educational fact-based tour, uh, it's one time. Like we really want to do this well. And this isn't a horse and pony show where we're saying, "Hey, just kidding." We found fifty million. I think that's disingenuous to a very educated tax base. Is this right or wrong? Is the bulk of this? upgrading is this in the old building yes or because that... the 2006 edition it was on the is the newer section right uh, what's what's in this is what's was touched or what wasn't touched in the 2006 which is largely the older portions of the building right. and what what is um again another question i've heard is is there with the um 115 and 67 is there a threshold that has to be reached before it goes to referendum or is it just that analysis that's how it goes i, I don't know if that makes sense or not i, I, don't, I don't think there's a magic threshold um i think that so for example 67 right now has no referendums on the future right. uh, horizon i would say for the next 10 years or more um, but they have a different funding model in that they have a debt service extension borrow capacity that 115 doesn't have and this was new to me coming to illinois uh, to understand what that means, but essentially uh, 115 does not have the ability to do um, a borrow because of a debt service extension. There's essentially an, another home equity you have in 67 that you can borrow um, against a current or debt that was, uh, I guess, on the docket in the early 90s. 115 didn't have any debt then, so there isn't that ability to have major borrows uh, that would offset any referendum. But you could go to the referendum for whatever amount you want. I think it's unlikely that you're going for it under $50 million. Gotcha. Just for a practical standpoint, if you ask me, Scoot, if we if it gets turned down, let's say it got turned down twice. We're hoping this, this reality doesn't happen. Right. Um, but even if it got turned down once, I wouldn't put $50 million, and this is just Matt Montgomery speaking. Remember, I serve at the pleasure of a board two boards actually, with this case, it's 115. I would recommend to the board going for 50 million. I would say, let's find a way to just pay it out over 10 years and look at what programming we can do without uh, to make sure that we can pay for it. Well, I think it, it equates to, and I'm, I can appreciate is I have an older home. So, you know, we always want to do all these beautiful improvements, make it look good. But at the end of the day, Nothing looks better, and you don't see it, but when you have to do the guts first, no one gets to see that. But for these older homes, you got to do it, just kind of like the high school. You got to do the guts. Yeah, and it's not it's not sexy work, right? right. So if, if we're going to spend $50 million on something, it would be great for me to be able to parade hundreds of people through and say, look at this shiny new space. <laughs> um, but what I am able to do is say, my gosh, look at this. A campus that was ranked one of 20 in the districts or campuses in the country by Architectural Digest, I can't say it's going to be open for another 20 or 30 years. And our community is going to be able to send their children and their grandchildren there for another 20 years. That, to me, is far more important than being able to show off some kind of amazing new space.
I don't know about Architectural Digest. I I think my subscription lapse, but you are a blue ribbon school, right? We are a blue ribbon school and know that I like I'm I will celebrate it and be proud of it, but know that the credit goes to my predecessor, both the previous uh so Dr. Shayla Holland and Mr. Mike Semick and the staff and the community. Um I had the pleasure of accepting the or the uh like accepting the award of superintendent officially last year but that work was done prior to me um i had the privilege of having a blue ribbon school in my previous district and it is quite an honor and there is a, a there's conversation in the community by some about academic performance know that we are always in a state of uh, improvement but the academic performance of that high school is phenomenal with the 98% graduation rate in terms of ELA or English language arts and math, we're at the 99th percentile relative to our peers. Uh, so there is a lot to celebrate uh, that's happened in the past and currently in that building. See, Scoo, that's really smart what he's doing there. He gives the credit for the blue ribbon to the past administration that he can blame the referendum on the past administration, too. It's a beautiful... That's, that's I promise a... you that I am not blaming anything on the past. Uh, because you know why, Peter? Because it's, I was the past in another district. Yeah. So I, I believe that it is people were leading and doing the best they could during that time frame. And we should honor those previous leaders, whether we agree with them or not. They serve the community. Um, and I hope somebody says that about me in the duly, previous districts that I served. Duly noted, tongue in cheek. Come on now. So <laughs> that, right, I got to stand up because somebody is on a podcast in Revere, Ohio, talking yeah, about me. So, a much well, smaller you're, podcast. You're, you're the only superintendent to get on the microphone on a football game. So you got that going for you, too. <laughs> So, yeah, so, uh, Lake Forest podcast, the right? Lake Forest podcast. So, Dr. Montgomery, you did a blog post. I, I believe you said a superintendent is only as good as their school board. Uh, it's a team, right? So, I have I get the pleasure of serving seven members and on each board. And the more that we are in, we have a shared vision, uh, the better the community will be served, regardless of what that vision is. I am blessed to have two boards that work together. We don't always agree, nor should we. That's not how the democratic process works. But I will tell you that it has been a privilege to serve both of these boards, and I'm not just blowing smoke. It's not easy to have 14 bosses, um, but my gosh, the things that we can do it, when we are rowing in the same direction is pretty amazing. And, it, and you, you mentioned the two boards. I mean, I... Real, it used to be two separate boards, and then several years ago it was combined. How do you think is that working well? Or, well, remember, there's still two separate boards, right? So, there's, right. there's two boards, there's two sets of policies, there's two budgets, two committees. But there's there, one, two, there's, yeah, there's 23 <laughs> shared employees out of 700. Uh, and we get the, the privilege of working with both organizations. And to the credit of previous boards, the idea of doing a shared service model gives the ability to reallocate funds to kids to the tune of $2 million a year because of that model. When I say saves, I think that's a, you should put an asterisk there. Like we're, we're able to reallocate it to other things because if you had to pay for two superintendents, you're paying double where they're sharing that cost. If you had to pay for 
two chief communications officers or two CSBOs or chief business officers. There is the ability to maximize those efficiencies and you can also negotiate contracts. So when we're redoing a website, we have the power of doing that together. Uh, when we're doing contracted services for, I don't know, let's say busing, we're able to do that uh, and get economy of scale. It's a really unique environment. It's exceptionally challenging because of the expectations of the community. Uh, but I will tell you that I think that it is uh, something that benefits the taxpayer year over year because of that model. It is always difficult when you talk about raising tax dollars. The community, both Lake, Lake Forest is the lowest in tax rate in Lake County. Lake Bluff is number two. With this $79 per month per a million dollar house, we will still be the lowest tax rate in Lake County one and two. The right. question will be, will the voters support that or will they want us to do something different? And, and we ultimately have to endure whatever their response is. I certainly know what I'm hoping for as a resident and as a data for and as an educational leader, but all, it's not my decision to make. I I get one vote. People don't understand. I mean, they're in a community like I don't have any kids that are going to go to the school, but I had nieces and nephews that went through there and they had a great experience. And all right, I'm going to pony up my money, but I'm sure there's going to be other things like I sure go to that beach, you know, <laughs> so if you don't fix up the school, then there's going to be a bad experience. People are going to go private or something else. And then the property values go down and it's not a good uh, loop uh, to be in. Is that how I should be looking at it, Scoo? Um, Yeah, I mean, I, th I think so. But I also think, I mean, we are a community of, uh, we love our historic buildings. We, we love the ambiance and the, just the whole community. But you know, I think it's that turnoff People turn off when they hear, oh, your taxes are going to go up. But again, the high school, everyone loves the high school, but it's an old structure that you either, and if you don't fix it, it's probably going to die faster than a regular building that's not as old. And that's, I mean, that's, like I said earlier, I mean, you got to get the infrastructure done in order to get, you know, keep it going. So, so I, I pulled up a list and sometimes this is a blessing and a curse when I talk about this. When I talk about anything around this topic, people will either be, yeah, he should have said that, or no, heck no, he shouldn't have said that. You should uh, do a podcast. <laughs> I feel your pain. It is my day job, right? Um, every day, every email. Uh, you That's know. why we're not live. <laughs> the, um, if you look at our area uh, surrounding districts and what they've invested, and I have a list in front of me, so I'm just going to shout out some. Yeah, hit it. Uh, New Trier has invested since 2014 approximately $200 million in their schools. Deerfield 113 since 2013, $89 million. Uh, uh, Glenbrook 2006, $94 million. Maine 2007, $195 million. North Shore 112, Highland Park, $114 million that just passed in 2022. So the fact that we've kept our tax rate low over the last... 15 or 16 years is paramount, but we have to invest at some point to ensure that the buildings remain open and viable. I can't stress enough that we scaled back this to ask for an, the needs, not the wants. 
Right. The needs, not the nice to haves. Uh, so much so that I've committed to many special interest groups. If they want to capital fundraise above and beyond what we put together in this package for the auditoriums for the arts or for the natatorium or for the athletic projects, I'm willing to do that, but I'm not willing to put them in a project that goes in front of all the taxpayers. Those have to be above and beyond. And there's so many unique things in our community um, that can address that, like uh, shared, you know, private donations and all that fundraising and all that to get, you know, whatever on the side there. But again, the infrastructure, you can't get any of those things unless, you know, we have the infrastructure fixed. And unfortunately, that is the big nut. And, you know, we just got to do it. It's certainly the basic needs. Yeah. Well, I'm sure somebody's going to watch or listen to this and said, well, why didn't you ask him this? Or why didn't he blah, blah, blah? Else we okay. put uh, an FA, a robust FAQ uh, with regards to the referendum that's evolving weekly as we're getting new topics or new questions. We just keep trying to build that out. And we're hosting tours on March 6th for the building. Um, if people are interested, uh, we're calling that the, the future scouts. So we're trying to really bring 65, 67 students and, uh, you know, St. Mary's and uh, private schools as well to come see the campus. One, people who may not be in that building on a regular basis, but the tours are open to everybody. And that's in the evening of March 6th. And you can check the website out for more information. Matt, the, the thing with what you guys are doing compared to what was done in the past, I think is absolutely phenomenal trying to educate the community because I don't think it was done that well before, but what you guys are doing, getting everything out there, it, it's needed. And it's I think you're doing a great job of it. Well, thank you. Again, I will tell you that um, I, I am blessed that I can pick up the call or phone and I'll say this and you, you cut this now. I re rather you leave it in. I am blessed that I can call Mike Simic and I can call Harry Griffith and I can get 30 years of leadership and perspective. And you can like or dislike any decision that, that either of those two leaders made. I know that people like and dislike decisions I make on a daily basis, but I will tell you that uh, we're all just trying to do our best. I know they did too, and I certainly am as well. So thank you for your encouragement. Uh, Dr. Matthew Montgomery, Superintendent, 67115, finally on the Lake Forest Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. Let's not make it the last time. The quality of the education our students at Lake Forest receive is really second to none. There is definitely a mismatch between the standard for the type of educational experience we want our students to have and the actual facility those students reside in while they're receiving that education. I graduated in 1986 from Lake Forest High School. The things that were here, actually most of the classrooms look, in a lot of cases, very similar. <laughs> the external beauty of this building camouflages the needs and the urgency of some of the conditions inside the building. Bringing kind of a, a newer environment today is, is critical for us to stay current and competitive. On the front of the building, those historic windows are single pane glass. They are very inefficient. Some of those windows, you can actually feel the cold air coming through. 
There's definitely temperature control issues. You'll see teachers and students putting textbooks on the ventilators to try and control the temperature. Heating, ventilation, air conditioning, plumbing, electrical, roofing. I think our staff has done an incredible job of keeping our equipment running, keeping our building open. They're at the point where they are in danger of actually disrupting classes and learning in the school. It basically, 50% of your building has not been updated in a significant amount of time. While we have so many things to celebrate, there is a ceiling or a limitation on how far we can take the learning environments within our current structures. There have been extraordinary changes in the workplace, and that needs to be reflected in the way that we prepare the students for life beyond academia. When you go back into the high school science labs, it's almost as if I'm going back in time to where I was in a classroom 15 plus years ago. There are classrooms with furniture that is, in some cases, bolted to the floor. In other cases, it's heavy and cumbersome. And so a lot of the collaborative work that is part of educating children today isn't, isn't possible. We want to make sure that our students feel like they can be included in all of our spaces. And right now, we really have spaces that are very difficult for students who may have physical disabilities to access. Our staff has asked us to help provide an environment that allows them to teach the way education is taught today and allows our students the opportunity to learn the way students are learning today. Ensuring that our students walk into this building, that our teachers and our staff walk into this building, and that that concern doesn't hit them when they cross the threshold. I want our students and our families to trust that safety is a priority and that the measures available today exist in this building to protect everybody. Walls were simply put up without any insulation or soundproofing. And so in my line of work, confidentiality is really important. And when we are holding meetings with parents or holding meetings with students with confidential matters, those conversations can be heard through the walls. And that's just not very good best practice in our field. Students, if they have to go to a departmental office to get help from a teacher, those offices can be very intimidating. You can just tell from the way that they enter that room. They, they don't know if this is a place they're welcome. They don't feel comfortable. They're immediately nervous about trying to find their, their teacher. They're completely closed off from the corridor. The students feel like they're closed off from the rest of the school. They don't feel comfortable going into those spaces. So either they go into those spaces and feel uncomfortable in the situation, or they simply avoid that discomfort and they don't get the help that they need. We're in a unique position to lead. The ability for us to invest both in the kids and show as a model for both the community locally as well as the state and nationally how learning can evolve. We can ensure that the space in which we are providing instruction 
will enhance the educational opportunities and speak to the academic excellence that these communities so value. Now is the time to make some really, really significant changes so that what we've learned to be proud of in Lake Forest High School, what we've learned to expect from Lake Forest High School is something we can still deliver at Lake Forest High School.